Well, hey, everybody. It's great to be all together on all six campuses today, as well as Compassion Online. And I just want to greet you from our Statesboro Far West campus where we're broadcasting today. Man, let's welcome everybody. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Man, it is so good to be here at our Statesboro campus today. Man, this place is red hot. God is working out here. And I'm really, really thankful that we have this opportunity for the first time uh, to be able to broadcast from one of our regional campuses. Uh, but man, I got to tell you, across all of our campuses last week, our Baptism Everywhere celebration was amazing. Friends, we baptized 141 people across all six campuses, online, bam! I'm telling you, it was exciting. You know, we had people come to our church for the very first time, heard the gospel, got hit, put their faith in Jesus, baptized into Christ that day, just like the book of Acts. Now, you read in the book of Acts, it was normal for somebody to be baptized into Christ the same hour they put their faith in Jesus. No waiting around in the Bible, no waiting around here compassion either. We had one lady who said, man, her daughter put her faith in Jesus like two years ago. And she was so impressed by the life-changing effect that Jesus has had on her daughter that she said, man, I just feel compelled to give my life to Christ and see if he can do that with me too. And her daughter drove from Greenville, South Carolina, back down here to help us baptize her mom last, month, last week. It was awesome. Now take a look at this next guy. He was driving down I-95, listened to a Christian song, got under conviction, pulled off at the 204 exit and said, are there any good churches around here? Somebody said, you need to go to Compassion. He rolls into our church, hears the gospel, gives his life to Christ, baptized into Christ, bam. Leo, God bless you, bro. God bless you, Leo. <laughs> now, you know, several people told us they were watching online, and it was like, I got to get off this couch. And, man, they got up, they got dressed, they came to our campus. Man, following the example of Jesus, which I think is awesome. Now, one family called us and said, look, we're in the SUV. We're on the way from Florida back to Charlotte. Man, we're listening to the sermon. I've got to be baptized in Christ. I'm 35 minutes from Savannah. Will you wait for me? We're like, of course we'll wait for you, bro. And by the time they got here, the dad, the mom, and their oldest daughter, all three put their faith in Jesus and were baptized in Christ. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Now listen, you know how we're always talking about you've got to reach, disciple, and develop. That's what we're about. You've got to reach people for Jesus, disciple them, build them up in Jesus, and develop them into leaders who will go out and reach other people and disciple them, right? Now, let me show you a picture of three guys who got this thing figured out. This is the James Davis from our Statesboro campus. Anybody ever seen him before? Yes. This is Josiah, a young man that James is investing in. James is discipling. James is pouring into Josiah's life. And Josiah started pouring into Landon's life, taking what he received from James. James got it from Jesus, gave it to Josiah. Josiah is pouring into Landon. Landon made a commitment to Christ, baptized into Christ last week. Sitting right there, everybody. Let's thank God, you know? Awesome, 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 awesome. Now, let me, let's just get crazy on all of our campuses and online. If you're online, throw up an emoji or something. If you were baptized last week, will you just stand up and let us celebrate your bold move in the name of Jesus? Come on, stand up. If you were baptized last week, ah, there it is. There you go. Fantastic, man. Way to go, way to go. Wow, wow. I'm telling you what, we probably, we probably had a dozen people baptized in Christ so far this week. Uh, can, do you believe we get to do this? I mean, you know, we read about this in the, in, the, in the New Testament, and we see it happening right here at our church. You know why I think that is? I think it's because we're one of those churches that just follows hard after Jesus. If he says it, we do it. If he teaches it, we believe it. 
Our attitude is, Jesus, the answer is yes. Everybody say yes. yes. What's the question? Doesn't matter what the question is. Whatever the question is, Lord, the answer will be yes. Now, friends, we get to see a lot of cool stuff because that's our attitude. We see lives changing on five continents around the world every day because of our giving and our service. Listen, we see people get saved spiritually and physically because we're willing to say yes to Jesus. We see marriages, you know, healed and lives restored because we learn how to say yes to Jesus in everything, something we didn't know before. We, we see students and children loving and serving Jesus in life-changing ways. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how old you are. You can still say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul was a guy who was running 90 miles an hour in the wrong direction and then met Jesus and repented is the word. He made a 180-degree turn to go in the other direction. And then in Romans chapter 14, after he'd been a Christian for 25, 30 years, he writes about the outcome of, of that repentance, that willingness to change the way he thinks and follow after Jesus. And he said in Romans 14, 17, man, the kingdom of God, it's about righteousness. You know, when you're in a right relationship with God vertically, you're in a right relationship with other people horizontally, it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the outcome of me learning to say yes to Jesus? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm living it every day. And friends, because I love you, the more you learn to say yes to Jesus, I'm telling you, the more righteousness and peace and joy you will see in your life as well. Now, you know, right after Jesus was baptized, which we unpacked last week, the apostle Mark wrote these words. He said, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist. That's the guy that baptized Jesus, was put in prison because of his faith, because he would not capitulate to the culture, okay? After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And listen to what he said. The time has come. Listen, the kingdom of God is near. It's close, man. This, this life of righteousness and peace and joy is really close. But if you want to have it like Paul did, you're going to need to repent. You need to change the way you think and then believe the good news. Now, the Greek word for believe is pistuo. And many scholars believe that this is not the best translation of that word because it doesn't, it doesn't mean in our language what it meant in their language. You know, you think, oh, I believe it, yeah, whatever. But man, back in the, their day, to believe meant to trust. I mean, to put your confidence in it, to, to lock it down, man. And, and so what Paul is saying is, is man, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that you need to trust him. Trust him, believe in his kingdom and trusting him. And that will lead you to a life of righteousness and peace and joy. Man, no matter what. Dude, even if you go to prison like John did, you will still experience righteousness and peace and joy at a level that most people will never experience. Now, for that to happen, at some point, you just need to decide if you will change your way of thinking and trust Jesus or not. I mean, no matter what, you just got to decide, will I or won't I? Because friends, as John and Jesus discovered, the message of the kingdom that brings righteousness and peace and joy is diametrically opposed to many of the opinions and the power structures of the culture that we live in. And friends, I'm telling you, this is so important to remember as we start this new series of messages that we're calling Elephant in the Room. 
because we just ask you, what do you think? Are some of the elephants in the room that you'd like, to, you'd like to hear? What does Jesus think about that? And so as you can imagine, we ask that question everywhere. And dude, we got tons of questions. I mean, we got sex questions, right? And we got LGBTQ questions. And we got marriage, divorce, and remarriage questions. And we got relationship. How am I supposed to have a relationship with my family when, you know, some of them are so politically angry on this side and some are so politically angry on that side, we can't have a civil conversation. We also got lots of theological questions. And so this is kind of how we're going to proceed with this series. We're going to take your questions and we're going to see what saying yes to Jesus looks like with that elephant in the room. And so buckle up because today we're going to talk about the sex questions. Now, James, did you warn these folks that this is a Compassion Christian Church rated uh, PG sermon we got coming here? Oh, you did not? Okay, so if you've got little kids that you don't, want to hear, you don't want to hear plain talk about the sex question, okay, I see a young man leaving now, that's good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if you don't, you know, this is your chance to escape, all right, before we get started. And you might be thinking right now, ooh, Cam, do you really think we should be talking about sex stuff in church? Well, you asked the question, it's your fault, all right? So here we go, here we go. What does it mean to be sexually pure? What does it mean to be sexually pure? Well, let me just give you the short answer. Same thing I meant in Jesus' day. Next question. No, let's not do that. Let's, let's drill down a little bit because this is a question about the view of sexual purity that Jesus outlines in Matthew 19. So if you'll open your Bible to Matthew 19, we're going to let Jesus teach us something about sexual purity today. And while you're finding Matthew 19, can I just say this is a hard thing to talk about? And this is a hard time to have this conversation because the conversation about sexuality and sexual purity, man, is so emotionally and politically charged that I just know that when this message is over, there's going to be some blood on the ground and this going to be mine. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's okay. Because I mean, there are people in this culture who will just brand you a hater if you disagree with them. And as goofy as that is, that's the culture we live in. On the other hand, these questions are super important. And so why would a pastor shy away from teaching the word of God just because it might be some blowback? So let's begin. Let's dig in to why it is so tough to talk about sexual purity in days like this. First of all, friends, there has never been a set of generations in the history of the world that have seen as much change as our generations have since the 1960s, and that would be especially true in terms of our thinking about sex. Now, John Mark Comer says that there have been five tectonic shifts in the way our culture talks about and thinks about and expresses sexuality uh, that, that really we've just in, encountered in the last couple of decades. Here's number one. Sex has been disconnected from childbearing and family. Now, if you think about it, the FDA approved the first oral contraceptive in the 1960s. In all of human history up to that point, there was no birth control pill. There, there was no option to experience sexuality without a high risk of long-term responsibility. But friends, think about it. Access to the pill and other contraceptives have green-lighted sexual promiscuity for kids and adults in our culture, even though common sense and the Bible teach the value, the super high value of sexual purity. Think of all the social ills in our country today that would not exist if people practice sexual purity. It's a staggering list. Uh, number two, sex has been disconnected in the minds of many people from marriage. 
Friends, for most of the history of the world, sex has been seen uh, as reserved for two people who are committed to each other, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, till death do us part. That certainly has been the expectation of followers of Jesus, but not just followers of Jesus, other faith systems all around the world for all of recorded history. Friends, God taught Adam and Eve about sexual purity in the Garden of Eden, as you'll see in a few minutes. And let me tell you, Christianity and Judaism and Islam have all taught that Genesis story. I mean, on sexual purity. Friends, one of the Ten Commandments is about sexual purity. And so God started teaching values that protect women and children from sexual predators. He started teaching that 5,000 years ago to make our world a better place. And yet today, almost every media piece you see in our culture attacks and mocks and diminishes any hint of sexual purity. I mean, it's made it hard to even watch TV with your kids. It, it makes you foolish to even let your kids watch kids programming if you don't watch it with them because of the wacko stuff that's coming through in kids programming today. It's brutal. It's just brutal, man. And you're smart. I mean, we're all smart people here. You can't be blind to the emotional and relational anxiety and depression that is rampant in our culture over this disconnect over sexual promiscuity in our culture. And let me tell you what's happening. It's making therapists rich, and people are writing books about it at a rate never been seen before. And we should not be surprised by this. Because in the New Testament, we are warned. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians. He says, look, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, now when you hear this word, you think some street walker somewhere in a corner or something like that. No, no, no. We're talking about transactional sex. If I have sex, maybe he'll love me. If I have sex, maybe he'll marry me. If I, if I tell her whatever she wants to hear, maybe she'll have sex with me. It's transactional sex. Happens every day in, in every community in America. It's, it's sad. But Paul says, think about it. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself in this kind of transactional sexual activity, he becomes one body with this person? Man, the scripture says the two are united. Dude, they're united into one. And friends, if this is true, and Jesus certainly thinks so, think of the emotional and relational and physical feelings of, dude, schizophrenia that will start to exist in your heart when you have sex with two, three, four, five, 50 different people. I mean, some of y'all are thinking right now, oh, Cam, you're exaggerating. Am I? Am I? I mean, in high school, friends, relationally, I I I'm telling you, Having multiple sex partners is physically dangerous to women. It jacks up your chances of getting cervical cancer exponentially. But I'm telling you, the scripture says, and this is just psychologically true, for everybody, when you have sex with somebody, it's like carving a big slice off of your soul and handing it to somebody. And if you just keep doing that over and over and over to many, 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 many people, you know, the, your, your, the weight of your soul is reduced. And I mean, less and less and less strong and solid and healthy and deep. And then the people who love you, the people who live with you and love you, they know that. They have to live with that, which is why Paul says, Run! Dude, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality, and Jesus would define that as any sex 
other than a married man having sex with his wife, a married woman having sex with her husband. Any sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You're, you're damaging yourself. Scripture says that what you think of as just a meaningless hookup creates a soul tie at the deepest level in your life. And you do that long enough with enough people with no long-term commitment in marriage, <sighs> problems, problems. Number three, sex has been disconnected from male-female relationships in, this, in our culture, which is largely, you know, because of the activism of the LGBTQ rights folk, you know, started back in the 80s, culminating with the legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015. And I mean, here we are six years later, you can't watch a TV show. You can't watch a series of commercials. You cannot take a, a, a commercial flight without having seeing media pushed at you in an attempt to normalize same-sex culture uh, couples in our culture. And this is a relatively new thing. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I think the most radical shift of all is that sex in our culture has been disconnected from love. <laughs> it's disconnected from love or emotional or relational commitment of any kind for some people. Well, not everybody, but for a lot of people. You know what they think of sex as? Adult play. It's just something we do for fun. And let me tell you, it comes at a cost. It comes at a brutal cost. I heard of a popular singer, and if I called his name, you would know who he is. But he said in an interview that he's watched so much porn that actual sex doesn't even appeal to him anymore. And people are like, well, what's wrong with watching porn? It doesn't hurt anybody. Really? Really? You think that lust for pleasure comes at no cost? You know, that, that getting yourself all jacked up, uh, you know, no matter how it happens. And then a couple years later, you have no physical desire for your wife, your husband. It messes you up. Always does. Or think of apps, like the Tinder app. You know, where you go on Tinder and you, sw you swipe right or swipe left. Which one is it? Right, left, which one is it? Nobody's going to answer? Good, that was a test. I was just checking. <laughs> I was just checking to see if you know how this thing works so I know who to pray for, okay? But you know what? It's a hookup site. That's all it is. It's a hookup site. And the outcome of this kind of hookup mentality is that it just drains sex of meaning for lots of people in our culture and it is causing damage that we're going to be paying for for generations to come. Friends, sexual impurity doesn't work very well. It's not working well for us and it never has. Now, of course, this is not new. I mean, sexual promiscuity and adultery have been going on for a long time. I mean, prostitution is an ancient thing. Single bars, Lord, they're everywhere. Same-sex relationships all over ancient Greek and Roman culture, as Jesus and the Apostle Paul are proclaiming this kingdom ethic of honoring God's design and pursuing sexual purity in the Roman Empire and, and, and holding up a standard that was advocated in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But here's the conflict. All you will hear in our culture today is people pitching these shifts like they're progress. Like this is freedom, freedom from the oppression of tradition and religion and gender roles or gender itself. And there are people in our culture who think if you hold the historic view on sexuality, well, at best you're behind. You know, maybe you're just a dopey, unevolved thinker. And these progressives, you know, see themselves as the moral leaders now. And anybody who doesn't agree with them, canceled. Cancel them because they're in need of moral and emotional and psychological rebuke. 
and repair. That's an interesting view on tolerance, isn't it? Tolerance, except if you disagree with me, and then you're canceled. You gotta ask yourself, who's judging who in our world today, right? But friends, in Jesus' day, in a culture that was very, the Roman culture was very similar to our culture, Jesus describes a view of men and women and sexuality that literally changed the world for the better then, and it can do it again now. So let's take a look at Matthew 19, what Jesus said about sexuality, because this is the loftiest view of sexuality you will ever see. Now in Matthew 19, some religious extremists asked Jesus a question about divorce to test him, which means it wasn't a real question. They didn't really care what his answer was. They were just looking for a way to shame him because they disagreed with him. And look, and many people in our culture today, if you disagree with them, they want to shame you, right? Cancel you. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And, and listen, man, back in Jesus' day, women were so disadvantaged. I mean, women couldn't even divorce their husbands. Only men could divorce their wives. And so divorce just became a club for men to beat women with, you know, to abandon them and disenfranchise them and abuse them. I mean, just like it is today in our, in our country. But rather than answer their silly question, Jesus takes them all the way back to the beginning. And man, he shares God's intended will for healthy sexual relationships. Jesus says, haven't you read... Now, y'all, this is sarcasm right here, okay? Because I'm telling you, these Pharisees were Bible guys. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forward. And Jesus is like, really? Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? Now, now think for a minute about what that means. According to Jesus, that woman you want to dump, she's not just an animal. You're not just an animal. You're not some meaningless product of evolution. Dude, you were created by the creator of this world on purpose, for a purpose. He knows you, loves you, made you really good. You have great intrinsic eternal worth in the eyes of God, no matter what has happened to you in your life. And friends, if you don't believe that about yourself, it will lead you to perpetrate all kinds of evil against yourself and other people. And if you can read a history book, you can see the story of how that works. But Jesus says all the way back at the beginning, you were created either male or female by God on purpose. Now, Jesus is referring to Genesis 1.27. So if you want to turn back there, this is the creation story. This is not a scientific story, but is it a story about how the world and how life came about and what God's intent was? And in Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created human beings in his own image. Think about that. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Everybody say, very good. God thought it was really good, which means there's something really good in the mind of God about being created a woman. And there's something very good in the mind of God about being created a man. Now, I have friends who are here today we're going to struggle with this message because of same-sex attraction. And man, we are really glad you're here. And we want you to know that we love you. And God loves you. I love you. Man, we've been praying for you to come here and worship Jesus with us. And your presence here today is an answer to our prayers. And can I just also say that if you have ever been treated in an unloving way by a church or a supposed follower of Jesus, I just want to apologize on behalf of the church. Friends, every follower of Jesus is under his orders 
to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if some believer has ever violated that in your life, I'm sorry about that. But let me tell you what our intent is here at Compassion. Our intent is to love everybody, but not lie to anybody. Which means that talks like this can be uncomfortable for all of us. And so I just want to say, man, thanks for having the courage to show up. Now, you know, I have friends who struggle with same-sex attraction for what seems like as long as they can remember. And, and I know we live in a culture that militates against the teachings of Jesus. Our culture tells us all the time that gender is just a human construct. It's a psychological thing. It's a social imposition. It's not important. Dude, you be you. Just go with what feels natural to you. And I hope you can see that Jesus does not agree with that. He does not agree with Oprah. He does not agree with Dawkins. He does not agree with you know, uh, Matthew Vines or whoever your favorite blogger is that, that misinterprets and dismisses uh, what Jesus taught. Jesus said that our male and female gender goes all the way back to human creation. It's a part of our creation. It's the will of God for us. And yet, we live in a world that is horribly broken by sin. Our world doesn't work right. And I'm telling you, the hearts and minds and sexuality of many of us has been affected by that brokenness and, is challenged and, and, and affects us in challenging ways. And so I know this is a struggle for some of us. And again, I'm so thankful that you had the courage to be here today. I'm thankful for that. And we do not want to diminish any of the pain that you're going through. And we grieve that your psychology and your physiology do not line up. And there are reasons for that. But according to Jesus, God did not create you that way. And so there are godly responses to this misalignment and the particular temptations that it brings, and, and we'll talk about that. Now, I know this may not feel like good news if you have same-sex attraction or if you have somebody that you care about that has same-sex attraction. But friends, if you trust Jesus, you have to believe that everything Jesus wants for us is for our good. Amen? Amen? Everything Jesus wants for us is for our good. And I just hope you're willing to consider building your theology on a full trust in the Jesus who loves you and a willingness to say yes to him, even though he does not advocate same-sex marriage or sexual activity with, with, with the same gender. He does not advocate gender fluidity. He says, from the beginning, God's intention is male and female. Consequently... Uh, in verse 5, for this reason, Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And I wish I had a time to talk about what that bonding looks like. The beautiful, amazing, I mean, my wife and I get ready to celebrate 40 years of marriage in August. Man, what, what started on the day we got married? Well, praise the Lord. But man, the bonding that is taking place with, with us is an awesome thing. It was the promise of God, right? And so he says, they're no, they no longer two, but one. And so what God joins together, let not man separate. Now this passage is called a primary passage because it's quoted in the Bible over and over and over again. It's quoted in the book of Genesis twice by Jesus, uh, by other people as well. This is God's intention for sex and marriage. And friends, Paul backs th that teaching up with the verse we read a few minutes ago when he said, man, part of God's design for bonding men and women together is marriage. So of course you shouldn't have sex with somebody you're not married to. It's too powerful. It's too potent. It'll screw you up psychologically and emotionally. 
If you keep giving parts of yourself away, he's just quoting Jesus. But I mean, think about it. Jesus is telling his attackers, bro, marriage is not just a contract you can opt in or opt out of anytime you want to. Dude, that is a covenant that was designed by God in which you vow to God and your spouse and your community that you will put your wife first over and over and over and over again until you die. Now think of sexual purity as designed by Jesus as a man and a woman who are on this playing field right here. This box represents marriage. And all the sex that is healthy, all the healthy sex happens inside this box. Okay, now by healthy I mean sex that doesn't hurt and both of you agree with. And those of you who are really young are going, ooh, what's he talking about? And everybody else is going, okay, I get it. But anyway, <laughs> all right, all the, all the sex that happens in this box, awesome. Beautiful, wonderful, God-honoring, awesome. Any sex outside of this box? Sexual sin, according to Jesus, which would include kids having sex after football games in high school or college, single people hooking up, any form of adultery, married men having sex with somebody they're not married to, married women having sex with somebody they're not married to, divorced people who watch this box crumble, and now they're just sleeping with everybody they date, any form of homosexual sexual activity, all outside of God's design and sexual sin in the mind of Jesus and honestly, a pathway to pain and heartbreak. And friends, the Bible actually talks way more about heterosexual you know, sin outside of that box than it talks about homosexual sin. But the standard is exactly the same for both. Any sex outside of that arena that Jesus says honors God's creation is sexual impurity. And bro, it, it, leads, it, leads, it never leads you to a good place. Now, the call of Jesus to all unmarried people is a call to celibacy and sexual purity. No sex until I get married, as Jesus defines marriage. Now, I've heard people just dismiss, dismiss that. Cam, that's unrealistic. You gotta be kidding me, man. That's unrealistic. What unrealistic for Jesus? One unrealistic for the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't unrealistic for Tim and Demi Lee Tebow. I mean, he's what, NFL, quarter, uh, NFL football player? She's Miss uh, Universe. Yeah, that's what it was. Both virgins when they got married. Wasn't unrealistic for Russell uh, and um, Sierra, what's, what's his last name? Wilson. Wilson. Thank you, football player. Appreciate that, all right. Russell and Sarah Wilson, they stayed sexually pure until they got married. It wasn't for me and Sarah. Wasn't unrealistic for James and Jenna, or Justin and Marley, or Preston and Eva, or Harrison and Lindsay, or so many other compassion Christians, you know, who, who are single today, still honoring Jesus with sexual purity. It wasn't unrealistic for Sam Alberry, who wrote the book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Sam is a celibate, same-sex attracted, single Christian man who is keeping himself sexually pure in honor of Jesus. Wrote a great book. You, you ought to read that book. He answers that question. Well, an unrealistic for Jackie Hill Perry, a, a celibate, same-sex attracted Christian woman who wrote Gay Girl, Good God, amazing book, who is now, by the way, happily married and a mother of three. It wasn't unrealistic for Henry Nowen, you know, who is a celibate, same-sex attracted, single Christian man who taught at Harvard University and wrote the best book on the story of the prodigal son I have ever even read. It wasn't unrealistic for Rosaria Butterfield, who is a celibate, same-sex attracted Christian woman 
who was the Dean of Women's Studies at Syracuse University. She taught, she was an openly lesbian activist who taught women and gay studies at Syracuse University, who was led to Jesus, changed her whole way of thinking, and writes in this book a story about her ongoing challenges of sexual purity, even though she's now married to a pastor. And let me tell you, it's not unrealistic for many of my straight and same-sex attracted celibate Christian friends in Compassion Christian Church who are living a life that honors Jesus. Now, friends, I give you this long list of folks just to say that sexual purity is the good fight, man. It's a fight, but it's a fight you can win regardless of your sexual orientation and should win. But whether you engage in it or not, will depend on how deeply you are willing to trust Jesus and say yes to him, whether you are straight or attracted to the same sex. And friends, can I just say, sex is great. It's great. But it ain't that great. That's the truth. Listen, sex cannot carry the emotional and spiritual weight of your hunger for happiness. Sex does not cure loneliness. Sex will not provide you meaning and purpose and peace that you long for in your life. Dude, as a gift, as a wedding gift from God to the married couple in the right context in the covenant of marriage, dude, sex is amazing, it's beautiful, it's powerful. But as a God that you give heart, soul, mind, and strength to, sex is a cruel taskmaster. So let me just finish with the answer to this question with a quote from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The writer says, give honor to marriage the way God designed it. Give honor to God's design for marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. You know what that means, single people? It means you should be faithful to the person you will one day marry. Maybe you'll get married one day. Your body belongs to that person. Don't let some bozo, you know, <laughs> mess with a body that belongs to somebody that you hope to be bonded to forever one day in the covenant of marriage. You already belong to somebody. I mean, if you want to get married, you do. Because I'm telling you, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And he will not have to send an angel from heaven to smite you. You'd be like somebody driving a car with no oil in it. you burn yourself up. You'll blow yourself up. So let me just quickly answer a couple more questions about sex, and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it a day. All right, here's one. Why do Christians hate gay people? Why do Christians hate gay people? That was the question we were told. Let me get, tell you what the answer is. Christians don't, followers of Jesus don't hate anybody. Can I hear amen? amen? We don't hate people, man. Followers of Jesus have been tasked by Jesus to show his love to everybody. Not agree with everybody. Not affirm everybody's idea about how things ought to be. But to show love to people, even if we disagree with you. Now, sadly, I'll confess we've not always been real good at that, but we want to be. And we're, we're, hope, we're growing. And friends, I'm just saying, if you're struggling with sexual impurity or same-sex attraction today, I'm so glad you're here. And I am just praying, man, that you will feel the love of Jesus every time you walk in our doors until you begin to trust him and his will for your life. And man, that is exactly what I'm praying for everybody else as well. And again, if some alleged Christian has ever been hateful to you, they're not representing Jesus. They do not represent Jesus. And I just want to apologize for the confusion that's being caused by that dark hatefulness in their heart. But friend, on the other hand, we live in a culture where some people assume 
that if you don't affirm whatever feels natural to me, you're a hater. That's just not true. I mean, that's ignorant. That's illogical. And I hope you will consider the fact that I may be honest with you because I'm concerned for you, because I care about your future, not because I hate you, but because we love you. Now, here's the rub. We don't try to conform the teachings of Jesus to our lifestyle. We try to conform our lifestyle to the teachings of Jesus. And that makes it complicated. And so, man, if you have friends who struggle with same-sex attraction, you've probably heard some of them say, you know, Jesus doesn't even address homosexuality. I heard a pastor say that one time. I saw a brochure that on the front it said, everything Jesus says about homosexuality, open it up, blank. Ha ha, isn't that funny? Well, you know, Jesus didn't address directly rape or slavery or incest or domestic violence or porn on your phone either. But Jesus did say, all the scriptures point to me. And man, if you study his teachings as we have today, and you study the principles of the rest of God's word, he, it talks about same-sex attraction and everything else you will ever face. You know, a friend of mine has uh, been inviting a buddy of his who was same-sex attracted, and he was inviting him to come to our church. It was his one. <laughs> and he kept inviting him. And finally the guy said, do you think I'll be comfortable at your church? And my buddy said, about as comfortable as anybody else. He said, nobody's comfortable at our church all the time. That's not the point. We go to church so that the scripture can lean hard in against the sin in our lives. So nobody, it's safe. You'll feel safe. But I don't think any of us feel comfortable. And I hope today you realize that we're not elevating one kind of sexual impurity above any other kind. We're just saying the Bible calls us to trust Jesus and honor him with our lives, every part of it, including the sex part. Here's another sex question. Is celibacy an unfair life sentence of loneliness? Well, if it is, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> you know, I mean, can I just remind you that, you know, the guy who said, I have found righteousness and peace and joy in the kingdom of God was a celibate, sexually pure, single guy. Jesus was single. Two of the most highly placed heroes in the New Testament were sexually pure, celibate, single men. Many of the women who served with Jesus were sexually pure, celibate, single women. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that, you know, being single is a burden. There's no doubt about that sometime. But it is a huge freedom as well. Man, you can use that freedom to honor God. And I mean, thank God, 33% of the single adults in our church are single people, you know, who find righteousness and peace and joy by leveraging their singleness to honor the Lord Jesus. And man, because God has blessed us with so many single people, I think it's just incumbent on the church to make sure that we're a place where single celibate people who are fighting a good fight feel loved and, and included and blessed and made to feel like they're a part of our family. Dude, loneliness is a, is a huge thing. And that's why my Sarah invites single compassion Christians to celebrate the holidays with us every single year. Cost me a fortune. But I'm glad she does it. I hope the doors of all of our homes just fly open to welcome and love any single person who's part of our church family who's fighting the good fight, man. And can I just say this? You will not feel the blessing of being a part of our family watching this service online. You'll never feel it the way you will if you will come and join us somehow. You've got to engage, man. Go to growth track. Get on a ministry team. Get in a D group. Be part of our family. And then you'll feel like part of the family. All right, here's one last question. 
Since other denominations are stepping back and denying the historic biblical values in order to appease people who have a more progressive view, shouldn't we do the same to make our church more palatable? Well, the Apostle Paul answered that question for us in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, we are ambassadors of Christ. And ambassadors don't get to edit the message. They deliver it. They gently, lovingly, faithfully deliver it because they believe that the message of our king is the best for everybody. Now, friends, this is not an easy conversation to have, not for me. Now, you know, sometimes when I get to teach like this, it's like a fire in my bones, man. I mean, like last week when we were trying to, you know, compel people to give their lives to Christ and, and we're seeing people make that commitment and be baptized into Christ, awesome. But you know, some of the talks I have to give, I give because I'm the pastor of this church. And I have been tasked by Jesus to shepherd this flock. And Jesus has called all of our pastors, me, James, all of our guys, to guard and guide the doctrine of this church. And we will have to stand before God and answer for that. Not before you. We have to stand before God and answer for the truthfulness with which we have led this flock. Now, friends, in a college town like this, a military town, a coastal tourist area like ours, Sexual purity is something we just got to talk about. So here we are. But friends, this is not just a job for me. I love you. I care about you. And I do not believe any variance on your part from the call of Jesus will ever lead you to righteousness and peace and joy. Won't happen. Now, friends, I have a weird job. <laughs> I get access to a lot of people's souls now, I don't know if you have conversations like that at work, but I do. I mean, I have vulnerable, revealing conversations. People confess stuff to me. And I do not know a single person who has abandoned the teachings of Jesus on life or love or sexuality that is experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy. I don't know one who said, Jesus wants to go this way, I'm going that way, and has actually found peace and life. I don't know one. And when I get these folks to talk to me and we really talk, and they get honest, you know what I hear? Pain, anger, insecurity, despair, regret. And dude, I love you, and I want better than that for you. And Jesus offers better than that. He offers righteousness and peace and joy in his kingdom. So, if you've been on the sexual sin train, and you wonder if it's too late to get off, it is not. Start today. I don't give a rip about yesterday. Jesus will forgive yesterday, starting from the day, from today forward. Well, I've already messed myself up. Well, starting from today, from the day forward. Do what Jesus said. The, the kingdom is close. And if you will just change the way you think and trust him, you will experience his righteousness and peace and joy. So trust him. Trust him. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us, Lord, to just open your word and let your word tell our culture what is wise. Now, we can't, we can't tell the people in the culture anything. But, Lord, we can respond in our own life. And then they will see us like a city set on a hill. They will see us like a lamp up on a lampstand, Lord, showing that light of love for everybody. And I pray, God, that there will be people here today who will hear the words of Jesus and repent 
and change the way they think and trust him. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.